0: And all of God's people said, Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Before I bring the message, I just want to remind you as we've been blessed last Wednesday with the core ministry, with discipleship and intergenerational, as we packed the place last week, I want to have our prayer time, our prayer warriors who are here faithfully Wednesday after Wednesday. We're going to move it here into the sanctuary, believing that God will fill it. Amen? So we've got God bless both places as we disciple and as we pray uh, for disciples that God will bless us and we'll be, I'll be here with you uh, praying on Wednesday night in the sanctuary. You know, I talk about prayer. I couldn't help but think this week of how some people see prayer as a burden. Um, there are others who find prayer time and I'm talking about one-on-one prayer, not the public prayer, Uh, is difficult to concentrate and focus. Uh, I know there are also others who kind of drag themselves into their time of prayer. Others still fall asleep halfway through their prayer. I know there's a nervous laughter, but I know this is true. I used to date a girl who used to sleep halfway through the prayer. I would say to her, I said, this is back in my wild days, and I would say, you know, pray in the morning, not at night. Because she said, I wake up in the morning, I just said, amen. (laughs) But, you know, I understand, and I've been around to to understand all these things, but the the interesting thing is I also saw how the moment we hit uh, an illness or financial trouble, or a loved one is in trouble. All of a sudden, prayer becomes easy. Uh, we cannot stop praying. I mean, we, we, in reality is this discipline of daily time in prayer, a daily time of intimacy with God, with our Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, is the most important thing you can do in life. Not one of, but the most important thing you can do in life. Uh, Far from being, prayer being in an emergency line that you only use or activate in times of emergency, (laughs) um, or a means by which you think you can persuade God or cajole God to give you what you're asking for, the opposite is true. It is your innermost secret for power, for living. And that is why Satan takes prayer very seriously. Actually, Satan takes prayer of the believers more seriously than some of the believers do. Uh, Why? Because Satan knows that your daily intimacy with God is your key to this power for living. He knows that your prayer time is your secret to daily victory over Him. (laughs) And that is why Satan knows that. And listen to me. If he can cut your power supply at the source, my goodness, he will do everything possible to stop you and distract you. From having this time with God. Now, here's a fact, here's a fact. Your prayer time, your intimacy with God on a daily basis is when Satan is busiest. He really that's when he really is working hard, scheming, plotting, planning. He wants to know how to stop you. Now we all know from the scripture how our Lord Jesus Christ got up early in the morning and spend time, the first fruit of the day, with his Father. It's very clear from Scripture. And when God did his work in my life, that's when I switched and tried to follow the model of Jesus, first fruit of the day. Well, guess what? (laughs) The disciples are watching him day in and day out. He gets up early in the morning, goes in there, spend time with his heavenly Father. And, and, and they, they see this, and, and they're watching this, and, and, and the probably were asking each other, what does he do all this time? <laughs> what does he say all these times? Because, you see, they were mystified. They were really intrigued by how our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, spending time with his own Father. But why were they mystified? Why? Because Jewish men of ger- their generation... Uh, they were taught to pray things by rote. There are certain prayers, pr- prayers that they memorized, that they committed to memory, and you "Amen." This is how they—they they, they were. Tra- this is the way they were trained. They would say these things over and over and over again. You can sometimes you see them even on television, like, Audrey, and we prayed, right? As I said, these are often prayers that learned to recite by rote. But to spend that long time to commune with the Father, that was very new to them. This is something they really did not see before and, and could not comprehend. So one morning, they finally said, okay. <laughs> And you find that actually in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. They said, all right, teach us how you do that. <laughs> we want to know how you do this. We want, learn, we want to learn how to pray. Teach us how to pray like this. Uh, even teachers like John the Baptist, who taught his disciples to pray, different from that of the Pharisees and the ritualistic Jewish prayer. But the very first thing the Lord Jesus said to them is that you do not make the mistake of the Pharisees. That's the first thing you need to learn about prayer. Do not, do, do not pray like them, do not make that mistake. Do not try to think that you're going to have some brownie points with God. Someone said, well, I did this particular prayer six times. Well, I did it seven times. Well, I did it nine times. Well, you know, I got more brownie points with God. (laughs) Don't only pray when people are watching. Now, he's talking about an individual prayer. They literally stand in the street and publicly, you know, pray on their own. I'm not talking about public prayer. I'm not talking about corporate prayer. I'm going to come to that. So he said, don't. Go in the public places and show off. He said, find a quiet place and there spend time in that quiet place where no one is seeing you and be in intimacy with my Father. As again, Jesus is not undermining Corporate prayer, because it's all in the Scripture, the promises. When two or three are gathered together, and when do not forsake your assembly, and all on and on and on. So he was not talking about corporate prayer, public corporate prayer. He is talking specifically about the vital importance of having a one-on-one time, quality time, with the Father, praying, and in intimacy with Him. Then he goes on to teach them what has become the most familiar prayer. Hello. It's the most familiar prayer. I'm going to say something that may offend some of you. I hope not. It's probably the most abused prayer. I've seen it through the years in different cultures. It's uh, the most abused prayer by some Christians. It's what we call, Jesus did not call it that, but we call it the Lord's Prayer. It is not the Lord's Prayer. So, from now on, don't call it the Lord's Prayer, okay? And I take the blame for it. Blame me. Somebody named it the Lord's Prayer and stuck. (laughs) But this is truly the disciples' prayer. Say that with me. It is the which Jesus taught the disciples how to pray, but not just to recite it. (laughs) Amen. and i know that some traditions would say if you get into trouble just recite the lord's prayer if you think you're going to die recite the lord's prayer now he is saying to them listen to me please this is the pattern that you should follow when you pray when you pray this is the list of priority of how to pray. Don't just memorize it and rattle it off when you're in trouble. He is saying, follow this pattern of priority. Follow this blueprint for prayer. As you're building your prayer life, have the blueprint there. But don't make it all the prayer that you pray. This is the architectural prayer uh, uh, blueprint, (laughs) but it's not the building. You build your prayer life following the blueprint. But what happened through the years, unfortunately, the human nature, the way it is, the very thing that Jesus warned against, the very thing that he warned against is what happened with so-called the Lord's Prayer. In many traditional churches, as a young boy, I used to go and visit. I wasn't growing up in some of these Orthodox churches, but my friends did, and I would go. And the priest would literally say, our Father, and then blah, 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 blah and you can't even hear what he says. And then you hear the, everybody say, amen. <laughs> I've seen it. In fact, I was thinking about this modern story of abuse of the Lord's Prayer that know it as the Lord's Prayer uh, that took place between two very famous brothers. I won't mention names, but they're well-known from New York, ended up being big moguls in Hollywood. And this is back in the uh, middle of 1900s. And, and the two brothers were having a heated debate. And in that heated debate, and who's really better than the other? And went on and on and then said, said, I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And the other brother said, oh, of course I do. He said, really? Well, say it. And so the brother said, now I lie me down to sleep. <laughs> I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord's my soul to keep. Well, his brother was absolutely mesmerized. And he said to him, he said, well, I apologize then. (laughs) I didn't think you'd know it. (laughs) Beloved, what we call the Lord's Prayer, what is really the Lord's Prayer, not the disciples' prayer, but the Lord's Prayer is found in John's Gospel, chapter 17. It's what we call the high priestly prayer. That is the Lord's Prayer. The Lord kind of pulled the curtain, and let us see how he prayed to the Father. In fact, a few years ago, I preached a whole sermon on this high priestly prayer. One more thing before I get to this pattern of that blueprint on which we build our prayer life. The one thing I will appeal to you, plead with you to do with this blueprint. is that you must give it adequate time. You must give it adequate time. That means that you reflect on every sentence in that blueprint, not rush through it. You can build your own words. You can build your own prayer structure as you reflect on every sentence in that blueprint. Second thing I want to tell you is give this blueprint adequate space. Give it adequate time. Give it adequate space. What do I mean by this? Apply each sentence and fill in the space. Fill in the space. I'm going to show you. So I'm going to show you. In fact, we're going to take 10 weeks for me to show you. (laughs) Adequate space. Each apply each sentence. Fill it with the space with your own adoration, with your own petition, with your own confession, and make it so personalized that it would be between you and your heavenly Father. Indeed, as I said, I'll show you throughout the series of messages. So, let's start where Jesus told us to start. Our Father. You say that with me? Now, i got to confess to you, when I pray the disciples' prayer, I really dwell on those two words, maybe longer than any other, as we go through, sentence by sentence. See, I personalize that a great deal for me. Because my heavenly Father, my loving, caring, gracious Daddy in heaven, and so I focus on that a great deal. Listen, I know, I know, I know, and thank God not many people do that now, but there's some still do. The, somehow, the moment, the, the, talk about the fatherhood of God, and, and a lot of people begin to associate the heavenly father with the earthly fathers. I'm going to show you how I fell in that trap and was miserable, and I'm going to explain it to you in a minute. Whether your father was a wonderful saint or... Not so. (laughs) Do not ever think about comparing the two. Beloved, it is a huge mistake that I used to make until I realized the error of my ways. The error of my ways. I used to associate, at least in my early days in walking with the Lord, and imagine that my heavenly father is somewhat, at least somewhat like my earthly father. Whoa, was I wrong? Was I wrong? Because my earthly father was unpredictable. He was unpredictable. I mean, he could be so pleased and happy with me uh, one moment, and then the next moment, if I'm not obeying or or displeased him in any way, he would pour out his wrath (laughs) on me, all in a few minutes, space time. If I'm obedient, everything is great. If I'm not, he's not very pleased. In fact, when I displeased him, I mean, he can rock me so hard that I would see stars. (laughs) I remember Billy Graham, years ago, he said, you know, they were talking about spanking kids can warp their personality. He said, my parents whacked me a lot. He said, it did not warp my personality. It warped a certain part of my anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> it was natural for me to think of my heavenly father at least as some similarity with my earthly father. That he, my heavenly father like my earthly father, is looking for performance. And he's only pleased when I perform. Even if this performance is accomplished out of fear. That's how I used to view my heavenly father. That I had to earn his pleasure. Even if that pleasing him is accomplished out of fear. Not gratitude and thanksgiving, not thankfulness for redemption and salvation, not out of indebtedness for all that He has done for me. Consequently, I had no joy in the journey. I had no joy in the journey. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. There are so many Christians who don't have joy in the journey. Beloved, the Christian life to me was a drudgery. Christian life to me was a matter of enduring, just enduring. Oh, I used to use that word, enduring. Christian life was struggle. I pray to God that anybody here or those who are watching around the world, particularly those who are watching us on Kingdom Set, that if you see your Christian walk as a drudgery, as something you just endure, that today, that will change. Now, beloved, once I faced my erroneous thinking, once I faced my erroneous thinking, I discovered pleasure and a delight In serving Him, I discovered the joy of reveling in my intimacy with Him. I discovered the joy of basking in His fatherhood. His willingness to love me. His willingness to call me. His willingness to choose me. His willingness to die for me. His willingness to constantly supply all of my needs. His willingness to give me endless supply of mercy and grace. His willingness to provide me daily with power for living victory in times of temptation. Wisdom in the time of desperation. Fellowship in the time of loneliness and direction when I don't know which way to turn. Well, if you want to clap, you clap to the Lord, not to me, okay? You're going to clap to the Lord, go ahead and do it. Don't clap for me. Amen. Just praise Him. But then comes the greatest joy for peace and contentment in life, and that is knowing that my heavenly Father, He will never, never, never let me go. And this is because of Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only one who makes it possible for us to call His Father our Father. It's the only way. There is no way you can call God Father without Jesus. In the Gospels, Jesus called His father, father more than 70 times. And if we now can call His Father our Father, is because Jesus has spiritually taken us into Himself. Yes. Listen to me. For Jesus alone... Jesus and Jesus alone, let me repeat, Jesus and Jesus alone is the faithful, obedient, perfect, sinless Son. In truth, Jesus and Jesus alone could call God Father, my Father. We just come in on His coattail, on His coattail. And that is why Paul could say, Galatians 3.26 and Galatians 4.6, we are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, because you are sons. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our heart, the Spirit who called out, Abba, Father. Can you comprehend the amazement of those verses when you go home, read them? By faith... In Jesus, we are called sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing? Of the mighty God, the creator God, the powerful God. We're sons and daughters because of Jesus. Listen to me, please. No amount of performance, no amount of self-righteousness, no amount of effort can accomplish that. Only faith in Jesus can give us this privilege which is greater than belonging to any royal family. Think about it. Pray for the royal family. queen was a godly woman. She went to be with the Lord. Pray that her offspring will follow suit. Someone may still be grasping of this enormous privilege, enormous privilege, that Jesus and only Jesus could give us and to me, as I thought long and hard, the easiest and the clearest portrait of my heavenly Father is painted, the picture is painted clearly, by Jesus himself. Nobody knows the Father like the Son who coexisted with him from before, or eternity. And that's why he revealed him to us. And the greatest picture that he paints is found in Luke chapter 15. We call it the Parodical Son story. It's not. It has nothing to do with the parodical son. It has a little bit to do, but uh, it's, it's not primarily that. Why? Because this picture pictures that Jesus is painting is giving us an accurate, accurate assessment, explanation, revelation of the Father. You know, some false teachers are running around today saying, well, the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. Hogwash. The grace of God is all over the Old Testament. Amen. 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 I'm convinced that the main reason Jesus tells this story, so-called of the prodigal, is to paint a picture of the Father. Um, Now, remember those hard-headed Pharisees were standing there, listening to Jesus. That's whom he's addressing. It was not the disciples. He was speaking to the hard-headed Pharisees who made up their own mind of what God is like, and they run with it. So he's painting this picture for them. And they were listening to the story. <laughs> and as they were listening, they were not buying. They were not buying one bit. Luke 15, if you want to follow it with me. It's a very familiar story. Very familiar story. As I said, we refer to it as the story of the parable, Because... If you look closely at the context, you will discover that both the the two boys were part of the story, but a small part of the story. Always when you see, particularly in the Hebrew writing, when the first thing, the first sentence is the most important one. The first sentence is the priority for the rest of the story. And so what is the first sentence? Verse 1. Luke 15, 1. There was a father who had two sons. Where's the priority? The father. Are you with me? Please say amen. amen. Some of you are there, I know I can hear you breathing. <laughs> Listen, without minimizing or taking away from the vital importance of what the father did, it's not even primarily about what he did. It's about who He is. Are you with me? I, I plead with you, just don't miss this one. The story from beginning to end is about the Father. It's about the character of the Father. It's about the demeanor of the Father. It's about the thought pattern of the Father. It's about the motivation of the Father. So it's not primarily what He did, but It's about him, his character, his demeanor, his thought pattern, and his motivation. It's about his nature. Because it was his nature that drove him to do what he did with both boys. And if you miss that, you miss the depth of the ethos and the passion of your Heavenly Father. You know, I looked back at my notes through the years, and I discovered that I have taught from from Luke 15 several times. And every time, it was a different facet, because it's such a rich portrait that our Lord Jesus… And then I thought, I could preach four more sermons and… Be all four different facets again. It's such powerful, multidimensional story that he gives us, but it's a story in order to show us what the Father is like. I pray to God, I really pray to God, that you never call your heavenly Father, Father, in the same way again after today. Amen? I pray that you will never take those words for granted ever, Again, the word Father. As I said, the first thing that shines brighter is the character of the Father, Jesus' Father, who is now our Father who believe in Jesus, who put our faith in Jesus. You cannot escape this. Listen carefully. You cannot escape this. You cannot escape His loving care you cannot escape his compassion and his patience. You cannot escape his long-suffering and his slowness to anger. You cannot escape the, his quickness to forgive. Ah, oh, but don't miss what this father did not do. Say that with me. Did, did not do. See, we'll see what he did. It was his character drove him to do? I want to see. I want you to notice what he did not do. This is very important. When the rebellious son decided that he wants to leave home, what does the father do? He lets him. He lets him. <laughs> Today we call that, you know, he just got respected his wishes, even though foolish, arrogant, scornful as he was to say nothing of the hurtfulness and the pain and the heartbreaking that caused his father Great. and yet the father stood and let him go oh once he left the father what did the father do he waited he waited. And then he waited some more. <laughs> he could have sent some green berets, to bring him back. He could have sent some private detective, just keep him informed what's happening. He could have tried to influence him long distance. But he did nothing to pull him out of the pigsty. The pigsty is the worst place to be for a Jewish boy. Now, beloved, that's not being heartless on the part of the Father. No, 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 no. It's not being unconcerned. Absolutely not. Uh, It's not being uncaring. No. On the contrary, he longed for his son, both sons, but listen to me. Read my lips. He would not bend the rules by a quickie forgiveness. Are you with me? He would not bend the rules. There are a lot of people out there saying, well, you know, God forgives them. It doesn't matter. He just grace will cover it. sin to your heart's content. Oh, my goodness. What a sad state of affairs in some churches. He would not bend the rules. Please listen to me. The Father knew that without repentance, forgiveness would be meaningless. What about you? What about you? When you pray, my Father, our Father, do you take time to comprehend His graciousness, His patience, His wisdom? his kindness, and yet, his fairness, his sense of justice, his unbending and uncompromising of the rules. He waited for him. Waiting for what? He was waiting for true confession. Uh, He was waiting for true acknowledgement of his sin, for true repentance, waiting and longing for the boy's heart to turn back to the father, and this time he will please him out of gratitude. This young rebellious son could not be restored to his father until he first realized his own desperate need. Are you with me? His own desperate need to come to true repentance. And I'm emphasizing this because there's so much cheap grace being preached in America today. Some say, well, you know, he's God. He's supposed to forgive us, right? No, 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 no. Until we purpose to turn away from the pigsty and put things right with God. He waits. He waits. Oh, but don't miss what the Father did. Okay, I told you what he didn't do. Let me show you what he did. When true repentance took place, everything that Father did, was unexpected, particularly by the Jewish Pharisees who were watching and listening. Everything he did was unexpected by these hard-hearted Pharisees who were listening to Jesus. Everything our Heavenly Father does is the opposite of what was taught in some legalistic Pharisaic churches. Oh, they would have expected the boy particularly in that culture. Let me tell you something. Trust me, I know that culture. <laughs> I, lived, I, lived, I lived there 2,000 years ago. I know what it's like. <laughs> the boy would have been expected to publicly apologize, apologize, be humiliated in public, beg and plead publicly with the Father, A public punishment uh, would be expected, demanding of some sort of act of preserving the family honor. But none of that, none of that happened. None of that happened. Their own image of what God is like was shattered. Instead, the father runs. Many of you have heard me say this before. He runs. This is the worst humiliation for a dignified man over 30 in the Middle East to do. Run. Only servants and boys run. A dignified man like this man never runs. He runs to welcome his son. Question. Can you see the cross? Can you see the cross? Can you see the cross here? Can you capture God the Father in the Son, reconciling the world to Himself on Calvary? But there's more. The father's dealing with the older brother who was outwardly compliant. Oh yeah, he did the right things when daddy was looking. Those of you who had kids in that direction, went that direction, you know what I'm talking about. And then you discover, ooh, they're not walking with the Lord like I thought they were. (laughs) Outwardly compliant. That too teaches us something about the Father. The prodigal did not expect to be restored to the family. He just wanted a master-servant relationship when he came. But the older boy... The older boy was like all of those who are religious or in a church who feel entitled. Am I stepping on too many toes? Oh, (laughs) listen, this is truly the mark of our culture today. Let me tell you, I am entitled. I am victimized. I'm oppressed. I deserve this. Right. Lots lots of modern American church people are like the older boy. They're like the older boy in the story. Just this week, this week, I see this headline. New study is being conducted. One-third, one-third of senior pastors in America believe that good people can earn their way to heaven. I, I asked them to put it on the screen because I know some people go out here and say, Michael exaggerates things. Well, God bless you. I'm not that smart, but I'll give you the reference. Good people are going to heaven. They don't need Jesus. They should be fired from every one of those churches. Yes. Listen to me. Listen to me. The older brothers, older brothers in the plural, are all these folks who are in the church, Why are they in the church? Well, because God needs them. (laughs) Oh, because they're doing God a favor. Meanwhile, they're walled off themselves from the heavenly Father, from Daddy. Oh, they're home, to be sure, but their hearts are in the far country. They are too sufficient to call God Daddy. Their motto is, God helps those who help themselves. They always talk about the man upstairs. You know them, and I know them. You know what their aim is? To belong to the right church. The right church. Thank God we're not the right church. Amen? Amen not the right heavenly father but the right church of course this story as jesus paints this picture what is he doing he's holding up a mirror he really has got a big mirror and saying to the pharisees guys this is you this is you you think you stayed home and you kept the rules but your actually heart is so far away from the father Sadly, the descendants of the Pharisees are all over the churches today. Please don't miss this. Don't miss this. The Father, our Heavenly Father, who is portrayed by Jesus here, don't miss this. He loved both boys. He loved both boys. Our Heavenly Father loves those who are yet to be saved. And those who are hiding inside the church walls. The father's heart is equally broken over the willful, rebellious child and the stubborn, ungrateful, outwardly compliant one. But listen nothing, can you say that with me? Nothing. nothing will make the Father stop loving both until they come into real relationship with Him. And so, my beloved friend, when you pray the disciples' pray prayer and you begin by that little phrase, my Father, our Father, if you cannot take time to turn your life around right away, I don't know what will, I don't know what's going to take for you to turn it around. Whenever I begin to pray, the disciples' prayer, which is often, "I'd will, as I told you earlier, I dwell on this phrase, probably longer than the others. I take my time with the others as well, but this one takes a lion's share of my time. Why? Because I'm overwhelmed by my heavenly father's parenting of me. I'm overwhelmed by my heavenly daddy's provision for me. I am beyond overwhelmed by my heavenly daddy's indescribable love for me. I am so overwhelmed by how he bids my fear out of my life and gives me faith. Please hear me right, I'm coming close to the end. I happen to know and academically studied all the other religions. And I think I'm safe in saying, not most of them, probably all of them, all of the religions that I have studied, these people are terrified of their gods. They are terrified of their gods. And they offer them all sorts of appeasement sacrifices to to just keep them off their back. Oh, but not with our Heavenly Father. We adore Him, we worship Him, we revere Him, we bow to Him. But we don't fear Him. In the fear, terror, I'm talking about. Because I know that with Him, Whether I understand it fully or not, it doesn't matter. All of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my circumstances, all of the events in my life, they are working together for the good of those who love Him. My heavenly Daddy gives me all the hope and confidence I need to banish all uncertainty. Not only that, while I pray, my Father, I remember immediately that He is with me and His companionship is 24-7. When I wake up in the middle of the night, when I'm wrestling with issues, when I'm seeking His wisdom, when I'm facing temptation, He is there, for He has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Beloved, the fatherhood of my heavenly daddy which become only possible I keep repeating because it's very important become only possible because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ is everything to me. As I pray the disciples prayer I take my time speaking to my heavenly daddy. I tell him how thankful I am that I can call him Abba. Say it with me. Abba. My earthly daddy did not understand me, but he does. My earthly daddy did not know a great deal about me, didn't, maybe a lot of things he did not know about me, but he does. Then I begin to extol his amazing fatherhood to me. His availability to me. His kindness to me. His generosity to me. His graciousness to me. He is far greater than any father that I could ever hope to have. Then I begin to pray Father, help me to be like you. I'm far from it. Let me tell you, I'm far from it. But it is my daily prayer to be good and kind father and a grandfather, to be good and kind friend and pastor to many, to be good and kind brother to many, to be generous and yet fair, to be loving but never compromising his truth, to be kind and yet just. I love you, Heavenly Father. Say that with me. Our loving Father, we thank you that this table that we're about to celebrate is a reminder that it is Jesus and only Jesus, through his shed blood on Calvary, made it possible for us to have intimacy with you. Made it possible for us to call you Abba, Daddy. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he gave his life willingly and voluntarily. We thank you that you gave him up for our sins. We thank you that as you watched him carry my sins and all of our sins on that cross, when you, for a moment, for an inner second, could not look upon sin, you continue daily to see us through the prism of Jesus and see us as righteous. We thank you for that robe of righteousness that is only possible because of Jesus. And Father, as we come. To this table today. Remind us afresh of what it means for you to make it possible for us to call you Father. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.